Hey there, this is Kathy Mary Stewart, and don't forget to listen to Diecast Movie Review Podcast. It's where it's at, and you can hear me right there. In a world filled with movies, it can be hard to choose just one to watch. What do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? I'm not deciding this. What do you want to watch? I asked first. Come on. What do you want to watch? No. What do you want to watch? What do you want to watch, Patrick? What do you Where even watch? narrowing down a you genre can be a struggle. How about we watch a drama? Too many emotions. Okay, then how about we watch an action film? Too many explosions. I know, I know. Let's watch a horror movie. Oh, uh, Dad, just do an interview already. Welcome, everybody, to the Diecast Movie Podcast, where this episode we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hi, this is Ansel Farage, and I'd like to invite you to check out my film, Loon Lake, a folk horror thriller based on the Minnesota ghost story of Mary Jane, the Witch of Loon Lake, streaming now on Tubi TV and Amazon Prime, starring David Selby and Catherine Lee Scott of Dark Shadows, Nathan Wilson and Kelly Kitko, and directed by myself. It's also available on special edition Blu-ray and DVD, which you can order from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Best Buy, and Oldies.com, where you can also check out several other of my releases on DVD, such as The Nighttime Winds, Theater Fantastique, The Dr. Mabuza Collection, and The Last Case of August T. Harris. I hope you check out my film, Loon Lake, and I hope you enjoy it. you believe this is a test? I must believe it. There's no witch. She's just some poor girl. I will come to thee in three days' time. Fear does crazy things. Check it all out at HollandsworthProductions.com. H-O-L-L-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-Productions.com and enjoy Loon Lake. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Turk from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast. Today we have another special episode where I'm going to be interviewing Catherine Mary Stewart. A lot of you know her from The Last Starfighter, Weekend at Bernie's, The Night of the Comet, and she has graciously allowed us this time to interview her and talk to her about her career. How are you doing, Catherine? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. That's always good to hear. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm interviewing her. It's the um, beginning of June 2020, and we're having a hot one today, and we're both on the East Coast, so it's one of those hot, humid days. Yeah, it's the dog days of summer. They're creeping up on us, for sure. It's hot and humid. And it's a good thing to be in air conditioning if you can. Um if not, try to get you know, try to drink and stay hydrated for those that are listening when it comes out later this summer. That's right. Very important. Stay uh, stay hydrated for sure. I came back. I worked out early this morning, and it was starting. You could just feel it kind of closing in. And boy, I, I got home. I was so thirsty. It's amazing how you know when you sweat and in the, these hot days, you really need to pay a lot of attention to that. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a first aid instructor for the Red Cross um, on occasion. I used to work there all the time, so I'm always pushing people, stay hydrated during the summer. 
you know, because uh, mm-hmm. it's so easy to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's lots of water. Exactly. And try to use I try to use renew, reusable bottles. By the way, you know, instead of these plastic bottles that everybody is using and filling up our oceans and our landfills, try to use reusable. Exactly. Some things you can re- either can recycle or just re. I mean, I'm I'm old school. I'm from hiking days and stuff like that. I still have the water bottle that I'll take out on hiking trips and use that all the time. So I'm, maybe. It's, yeah, I'm, me too. Me too. All right. So, Catherine, you have done a lot of different movies. I think over like you've been in over seventy different movies, TV shows as an actress, and it's amazing the body of work that you've done. But you didn't start going right out of the gate into the movies when you were a child, what led you to want to be in, in the field of acting? Well, I didn't know I wanted to be in the field of acting. Um, my, my mother actually introduced me to that concept. I come from a very academic background. My dad was a professor and my mother, you know, was a, she, she taught at university as well, and my brothers are both super smart. And then there was me, and I was just like, I don't know, didn't like school, kind of bored me. Um, and she she um, introduced me to um, theater, act, acting class in middle school. Um, I I um, I was I was always very animated and um, loud, probably <laughs> saying at the top of my lungs. So she suggested one time when we were, you know, give it, when we were looking at courses for middle school. So why don't you take an acting class? And I thought I want to take an acting class because I felt I was really shy and I didn't want to stand in front of a, a bunch of people and recite Shakespeare or something. That my, was my concept of it. Um, but she convinced me to do it and I just fell in love with being on stage. I just loved it. But also by that time I was getting into dance. I, she, she had got me, she got me into ballet when I was very young, which I hated because it was very disciplined and I found it incredibly boring, but I had a, a real dancer's body. So, um, when I was, I guess I got on into the acting class when I was about 14, but when I was about around that age, she entered, my mother also, mothers are great. And I fought her every step of the way with all these things. (laughs) She was very resilient with me, very resilient. My mother was very resilient in terms of introducing me to these new kind of concepts like acting class and dance class. And in both cases, I fought her all the way, but she convinced me to, you know, attend like a dance class. And I did, and I stood at the back, and I'm like, I can't wait for this to be over. But it was jazz dance; it wasn't, um, it wasn't ballet. And uh, halfway through the class, the teacher called me up to the front because she saw that I was picking things up pretty quickly, and I was, I was pretty good at it, which. It just sort of blew me away, and I was embarrassed, and I went up there, and it turned out that I loved dance as well. So this sort of introduction to stage and dance kind of came all at once, and of course, they're kind of related, uh, both, you know, performing arts. So I, I got heavily into dance at that time. 
and pursued that after school. I went to London and I trained in London, England for a couple of years as a dancer. And that was sort of where my acting and my dancing crossed paths and came together. I went to an audition in London, England as a dancer for this this movie, this rock musical movie. Um, and it was totally by chance that I went to it. Um, got into this like cattle call dance audition and the director saw me, pulled me out of this big group of dancers as we were you know, going through the choreography and stuff and asked me if I could act. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to say, uh, well, not, not really. I just decided to go for it. And um, I ended up being cast in the lead female role in this movie as an actor. So that's where my acting um, career began, was in London, England, in this rock musical um, called The Apple. And, uh, I, and it went from there. Well, we're all glad that you actually um, said yes, because so many people say no. And which, as I think anybody that knows that's in the business, the one thing nobody ever wants to hear you say is no. It's always yes, and and you'll no. learn whatever yes. you need to do. <laughs> exactly. It's like, are you a kung fu fighter? It's like absolutely, <laughs> and then you go and learn how to do kung fu or something. <laughs> you know, you always you you, you say yes and. And that's happened. That happens. I mean, most things I'm I can pretty much do, but but that does happen for sure. And and, and of course, you you put you took up to it, it seemed like uh, natural. And then I guess you took other classes in acting where you're um, out there, or did you just learn as as you were doing? Well, with this movie, my first movie specifically, I kind of learned as I went. You know, it was just, it, it was a wonderful experience. I had the best time. I just, it, I, I loved every minute of it. I loved every part of it. I loved the, you know, the, uh, how the shots were set up. I, I just loved the production end. I loved standing behind the camera and seeing how all that, what happened from that perspective. But I, you know, I, and actually, in terms of the role in this movie, she was supposed to be sort of a young, naive kind of character. So it, it really all just worked, me stepping into this position. And and um, I just went for it, you know. I That's one of the things about being young and naive, you know. You, you, I wasn't afraid. I didn't get nervous particularly. I just thought, well, this is cool. I'll do this now. Yeah, I think so many people put those barriers on themselves and keep them from possibly pursuing things that they might enjoy or not. You know, you never know until you try it. And, exactly. Uh, I mean, what do you have to lose? I always tell my kids that, you know, if you don't try something or if, if you do something, if you don't do something that you're a little nervous about or intimidated about, you miss out. And what do you have to lose if you don't try? It'd just be exactly where you were anyway. But a door might open. I mean, take a chance, take chances and do things, especially things that scare you a little bit, but you're curious about. Well, exactly. It, it, for instance, how I, I got to interview you. A lot of people are like, how do you get to interview people? It's like, I ask them because the unasked question is always no. And if you ask, 
they could say yes. Which thank, thankfully you exactly. Did. Yeah, they just have to ask. I mean, the, the worst thing that could have happened is I didn't respond or I said no. So, what? And that's not what you're going to be devastated by. That you just move forward <laughs> and ask the next person. Exactly, and it's but but everybody again has their different um, risk threshold, so to speak. And that's true. That's true. Now, from that from that point, what led you to leave London? Um, as you were studying dance, I know you did the Apple. Um, what brought you back to the states? Um, well, first of all, I'm Canadian originally, so I'm, I'm sorry, just from yeah. Canada. <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. Um, I'd never been to the states when I shot the Apple. Well, I'd been to the United States, but not as an actor. Um, I went back to my hometown of Edmonton for Christmas and uh, was cast in a local movie there, um, you know, and I ha- that happened to be shooting over the period of time that I was going to be in Edmonton. And um, but, so that was my next one. And then um, the, the production company, Canon Films, who did The Apple, the first film, they wanted me to do a movie, another movie for them. So I, at that point when I was going to go, and so they invited me to come down to LA. And at that time I was in Edmonton. I was either back again from London or whatever. But, uh, so I, I thought, oh, great, I'll go to LA and I'll do another movie. Um, I got to the airport all packed up and ready to go and they said, I got to the immigration, they said, so what takes you to the States? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be doing a movie. And they said, ah, do you have a work permit? And I was like, well, I'm assuming that I have a work permit. I guess I'll find out when I get there. And they're like, um, nope, you have to have a work permit before you go. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't let me on the plane. So I had to go home and I called them up and I said, I couldn't get, and I said, what do you mean? You told them you were going to be working. <laughs> so I sort of screwed up my first chance to, to get into to LA to do a movie. But eventually I, um, I did move from London. I moved down to LA and I was lucky enough for I worked towards getting a green card and that, and that's quite a lengthy process, but I did manage to get one back in the eighties and that made it me available to work as an actor. Well, thankfully that all happened, you know, and it, I'm, I'm, it makes me curious, what movie would it have been if, if you would have had the permit? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even remember. I think it was, oh, I don't, I don't even remember what it was. It was a Canon film, but it was a long time ago. Just wondering, you know, I know somebody will be curious, like, I wonder what that film was. So this way we'll say to them, hey, you know, you, somebody can go research it even though deep into the archives if they want to find out. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, it was an early film. It was, I guess it was probably 1980, um, a canon film. So I, it, it could have been a number of different things, I suppose. Now, you were in several different things. Um leading up some TV shows, some TV movies and other movies, but eventually you, you landed a role in a soap opera days of our lives. That's right. What was that like working on a, a soap <laughs> opera? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, 
I had been in LA for a little while and I found myself an agent. I mean, the fact that I dug the apple gave me a little bit of credibility in terms of getting representation and all that kind of stuff. And I auditioned for one of the things I auditioned for was Days of Our Lives. And I was cast as the original Caleb Brady. The character ended up becoming very, very popular. I was on, I was on the show for two years and then I um, went off and I was doing like, uh, well, actually while I was still on Days of Our Lives, I was doing, I did, I was cast in The Last Starfighter. And then, uh, and so, you know, I, I ended up, just leaving Days of Our Lives and pursuing the movie thing, but it, it was uh, Days of Our Lives was uh, a very interesting experience for me. It was uh, it's the hardest job I think I've ever done. You know, when you consider that in a soap opera, it's an hour long show, and they shoot it in one day, and a movie might be an hour and a half or maybe two hours, and it's shot over a period of probably a couple of months. So. It was it was um, it was trial by fire for me in that in that days of our lives. I found it uh, difficult. I mean, if you have a, a strong storyline going, you might need to have memorized like fifty pages for one day. So it, it really did give me a pretty uh, solid foundation in terms of working hard. Although I have to say, uh, I, I feel like. I was the whole my whole dance um, training prepared me as well for working hard. You had, as a dancer, you need to work very, very hard. So, I mean, I had that you know sensibility anyway. But yeah, Days of Our Lives was uh, it was a tough job. Yeah, I've talked to people that have done um, soap operas before, and if I understand correctly, you get one take, and on rare occasions, they might they might give a second take but usually it's only one take and they move on. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It's, uh, they don't have time really. If you're going to shoot an hour show in a day, you got to just keep going, keep going. And, um, I have to say a couple of times I would just, in order to stop because I would just be like befuddled by whatever was going on. I, you know, I would like, perhaps look into the camera and swear or something like that, which would force them to cut and do it again. But they did not encourage that at all. My wife, I told her I was going to be interviewing you and that you were on days of our lives. And she goes, which character? And I said, Kayla Brady. She's like, Kayla Brady. And I never watched the show. I'll be honest. You know, it's Days of Our Lives was not my thing, but for my wife, um, she was just she was just ecstatic to know, and she was like, "Oh, what years was she?" And then I got to say, "Oh, she was Kayla Brady, number one." That's right. There's been several, I think. <laughs> but you were the one who set the tone, the original. So it's uh, everybody after that has to pretty much emulate, you know, what you started with, and then eventually it evolves, I guess, down the road as different people take the role. But she was she was ecstatic yeah. to know. It's interesting because here I'm thinking the last Starfighter, and she's thinking Days of Our Lives, which just shows how much different diversity of work that you've done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I said, you know, I we were we shot the last Starfighter while I was still on Days of Our Lives, so there were times when I was shooting both things at the you know in the same day, and and a lot of uh, the last Starfighter was shot at night. So if I had to shoot one night and work on Days of Our Lives the next day, that 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 could be a tough uh, 
it was tough. So, uh, but but you know, the last Starfighter was truly a joyous experience. Yeah, the last Starfighter was is one of my favorite films. Growing up, I saw when I was like 15, I was one of the, the, the lucky people to get to see it at the movie theater, thankful to my older brother for taking me, you know, because we were both <laughs> big science fiction fans. But um, it, to me, it was a movie that's just, it's, it's a real, a movie they don't do as much anymore. It's a, it's a feel-good movie with a science fiction theme, and they just have, a, it, it's, at the end, you're just rousing and cheering that everything has that nice, happy ending. And it's it's... I'm trying to find the best word for it, but it's kind of like a wholesome, good family movie, which everybody can watch at a different level. Yeah. I mean, it, there, there's a level of intimacy to it that in, in that the audience can relate to the characters. I mean, so many sci-fi movies are just these over the top, extraordinary circumstances that, you know, you sort of watch in a way that is completely separate from who you are. I mean, you might be entertained by the action and the explosions and all that other stuff, but you can't sort of relate to it. And I feel like one of the really wonderful things about The Last Starfighter is it has that sense of intimacy and reality and this, this young, humble boy that we can all relate to that lives in a trailer park and he's thrown into this extraordinary situation and 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 as an audience you watch this and you go and you think to yourself wow that that could be me that could be me and um you know the girlfriend back home was was uh, of course me and and they were real characters they weren't they weren't um the fictional you know and and i think that's one of the way the reasons that it's um kind of endured in, in the hearts of so many people that saw it, especially when they were younger. Oh, exactly. I think um, for most moviegoers, that, that sweet spot of the golden age of see a movie is between 10 and 18. I think when you see certain mm. films, it just stays with you for the rest of your life. And, and certain music, anything. You know, certain things you experience at that, that, that time frame in your lifespan is... It's, it's things mm-hmm. that really set you up for down the road. Yeah, it's a real, it's a really, a real turning point in your life. It might may have been maybe the first movie that you got to go see without your parents, and it was not, you know, a child's movie. It was, it really sort of fit a niche that, um, that in, in a period of your life that is that you will never forget, as you say. So, I, yeah, it really, I, I think that too. I think it that's a sweet spot for so many people. Now, there's a couple of people I want to ask you what it was like working with. And I'll start off with first the director, Nick Castle, who most people, when they hear that name, they think of the shape from the original oh. Halloween. But a lot of people don't realize he's also a director, a writer, and, and does a lot of other things. Yeah. In fact, I, uh, from what I understand, he was cast as the shape in the original Halloween movie because he just was there and they, they were like, you want to put this thing on and, you know, walk around. And, and he's like, okay. Um, he was, he was, uh, you know, friends with the people that were directing and producing and all that other stuff. Um, but no, his, he, uh, I think his goal was to be a writer and director. And um, I think he, this was a beautiful script. I think it was a labor of love. You know, the character that Robert, 
Preston played with it. It was um, it was written for Robert Preston, so they were very lucky to to get him. Um, and you know, on the set, you just sort of felt this feeling of that it was a labor of love. You know, they, he he was a real benevolent director. He he really liked and worked well with young actors and. It was just a really lovely experience. That's what you always like to hear, because I think this was, you know, according to, you know, again, IMDb and Wikipedia, his second directing, directing film, at least that mm-hmm. he might have done others, but at least the one that he allows to be put on those pages. And right. uh, and you can just tell he, he was just doing so well with getting everybody. And I think also when you have a, a good director, a great director and a great script, and then you have actors that can embody the role which you did with Maggie, but the last Starfighter without Lance Guest, I mean, you know, without the two of you together with that chemistry, I, I don't, I don't think it would have worked at all. And um, what, what was it like working with Lance Guest? Lance Guest, yeah, Lance and I actually auditioned together as well. We, we, so I, from what I remember anyway, again, a long time ago, but we, you know, you you do an audition and then they decide whether or not you're going to be called back and. And he and I were both called back, um, along with lots of other actors as well. But uh, we were put together to to um, do this callback audition for the director and the producer um, together. And 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 I think we just from the you know the start we had a really good kind of understanding and 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 um um, um what do you call it? <laughs> Chemistry. Uh, chemistry. That's the word. <laughs> we had a really good chemistry. We did. Um, um, and I think that we were just very easy with each other. You know, it was not like we were trying really hard. He's, he's such a laid back guy, and, but very serious about his work. And, and, um, and we, just, we just seemed to fit and they acknowledged that, recognized it. And it, we were cast in this, in these roles. And, um, you know, I also think that they didn't, at that time, neither one of us were very well known on any level. And I think they want, they liked that about it as well. It's kind of these young actors that are unknown and then, you know, pair them with people like Daniel Hurley and Robert Preston and Barbara Bosson and, um, and I, I think it really, really worked. Oh, exactly. I, I think it did because that trailer park was just filled with such great character actors or, or at least, yeah. or, or they could have been lead actors before, but they were in these character roles and they just embodied that whole area with, um, a sense of community and life that you can just tell with certain actions when Alex was walking through and doing stuff in the trailer park that it was just, it felt real. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yes, I agree with you. That whole that trailer park it, it was it existed, but they kind of uh, dolled it up a little bit, put a little color in there, and created the sign, you know, Starlight Starbright, and um, that it's still there. Just uh, not this like last week, somebody posted a picture standing up there by the um, the gas station or the shop up there at the top. Here I am, the last starfighter at the Starlight Starbright trailer park. So it's still there, um, but they, I think they did a really good job casting. And they were the character actors. Uh, it, it really was. 
I, I just love that. It had such a sense of um, lightness and fun, and and but but it did seem kind of real, you know. And I think that's what was. It was certainly intentional, but it was someplace that was relatable. Now I know you didn't get the work in a scene with him, if I if I remember correctly, but I, I, I do believe you did get to meet him one day, and that's Robert Preston. What was your thoughts of meeting him? Because I, I just love him from the Music Man and all a lot of his other roles, and and really any scene he's in, he's stealing the scene. I mean, like you said, the role was written for him, and he just can't help it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, he he everything kind of stops when he's on screen. You just can't take your eyes off him. Um, yes, he's an icon. I mean, he was. Excuse me, he's passed away, of course, quite a while ago. But um, I got to meet him. We were doing, we wrapped, you know, the 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 filming itself. We were doing pickups later on at, at a studio. And I was called in to do a couple of pickup scenes. And um, he had, I guess I was, my call was in the afternoon and he was in the morning doing the same thing. Um, and he was leaving as I arrived. And uh, fortunately, I was introduced to him. And he, you know, I was introduced as this is the lead female, Maggie, and this. And we had never met before. He took my hand and he gave me a, he gave it a kiss. And I swear he just glowed. He had sort of this golden halo around him <laughs> I was I was like dumbstruck it was it was such a lovely I was so grateful to have met him um and I swore that I would never wash my hands but of course I did <laughs> I had to eventually <laughs> especially nowadays <laughs> uh, yeah no kidding if I hadn't up to now I better now you gotta wash your hands like 12 times a day that's great to hear because you you always wonder what people are like when they're off camera or whatever. And it sounds like Robert Preston was just as genuine off the camera as he was on of being, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously in some of the roles in the camera, he was the lovable cad, so to speak, or the, <laughs> um, uh, the guy who would like to um, rip you off as he was in the music man, a swindler. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 A charming swindler. Right. Um, but no, uh, he was apparently just lovely on set. I, Lance Guest has some great stories about uh, Robert Preston, working with Robert Preston and, and how patient he was with Lance and just how completely professional and prepared he was all the time. Lance was, you know, a young actor that just wanted to, uh, he was very, very intense and very serious and would want to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And, and Robert Preston would be like, okay, let's rehearse as much as you want. You know, he was, he was uh, apparently really wonderful to work with. Now, if I remember correctly, Last Starfighter was one of the first two films, Tron, I believe, the other one, to start using CGI because it was all in its infancy. And what was mm-hmm. it like for you as an, an actress looking up and seeing nothing, you know, at certain spots? You know, like I think like with the spaceship, there was a practical part of the last starfighter, but then the upper part was, there was nothing. Right. Well, you know, even with uh, traditional special effects, that, that can happen and they sort of put it in later somehow. Um, uh, but in fact, with when we were shooting the last starfighter, I had no idea that what, I certainly didn't know what CGI was. And I didn't know that they were, 
considering using it. And I didn't realize to the extent that they were working on this to get it done so that they could actually use it in the film until I think it was like the 20th um, anniversary screening. They had all the special effects guys at this screening to, uh, to talk about what they went through in the, um, in the Q and a, and I sat there and I'm listening going, I had no idea. So what was going on behind the scenes was these uh, people were literally writing programs for these CGI special effects. This had never been done before. I mean, yes, Tron had some, but this was way more complicated. Um, and they would, you know, they had, they would tell these stories about all computer engineers working in these little cubby holes and every once in a while you'd hear this, Eureka! They figured something out, some sort of a programming thing to do what it was that they needed for the special effects. Um, but not until it was like the, at the last minute that they were even sure that the CGI was going to be used as opposed to just, you know, conventional special effects. Um, so it was a real race with the clock for these, uh, these programmers. Um, and, and they did say, you know, they were a little bit, they would have liked maybe six months more to kind of work on some of the details of, you know, the images that they produced. But even um, over Tron, um, it was much more sophisticated and really the special effects in The Last Starfighter are the foundation for CGI today. Of course, it's changed an awful lot, and it's way more sophisticated. And, you know, it's kind of, you look at these special effects, and it's like, oh, man. But they were literally the first. So that, that, was, that was something I only learned about, like I said, at the 20th anniversary screening of The Last Starfighter. I had no idea that how impactful these special effects were. And, and, and one thing I want to say, even movies with great special effects, if, if you don't have, like I said earlier, the script, the acting, the directing, I mean, it's all eye candy. And this film had everything working on it. Um, yeah. And the, and the effects are still <laughs> effective today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do look, they look, you know, old, but um, no, I agree with you. I mean, they're, it, it, it seems like in a way, in many films, the priority becomes the special effects as opposed to the story. And I, I think um, people need a story. I think they like a story. I think that, you know, some, somehow this business has, I mean, it's always been about money, I guess. What is it? But, but I think in some cases, the wrong people are in charge of what gets made. They just want to try to piggyback off something that's made a lot of money or whatever, or, or they, they think that, the, the visuals and the, you know, the shock and awe of these movies is what's important. And, and it's sad when, when, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely feeds into a certain part of, you know, what we want to see, but I, I do believe that people love to see stories about people 
that they can relate to on some level. Um, I think it makes the movie more complete. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And the last question I was going to ask you for the last Starfighter is what was your favorite or most memorable scene in the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, I love the scene at, um, at the lake mm-hmm. where we're kind of making out and it's the beta unit. And he's, he's uh, you know, not responding the way I want him to respond under the blanket. I get frustrated. And uh, and he overhears, uh, you know, Jack, I guess, his, was it Jack? The character's name. Um, he can overhear him across the lake saying all these sweet nothings to his girlfriend. So he starts repeating that. And I just, I'm just like getting madder and madder. Um, and then he gets uh, shot because, you know, they, the, the alien shoots him and this green stuff spurts out. I, I just love that whole scene. It was so much fun to shoot. And then we get into the truck and, and he goes and I, I, I leap out. I always like that action stuff. I get to leap out of a moving vehicle. Oh, you, you really did that. the leap out. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was going to say, I was, was going to be shocked. That, that a, I mean, I could do certain, I could do certain number of stunts, but not jumping out of a speeding vehicle. I'll let the stunt people do that one. But, um, you know, it's also very melodramatic as, as he's exploding in the background. I look up into the heavens and I say, I love you, Alex Rogan. I love that. It was so much fun. Yeah, that is, again, there's so many parts of the movie that are favorite parts of the movie. And, and, and then it, I think it goes into his final fight with the, um, um, the bad guys and the death blossom scene and all the other stuff as that was going on. Um, right. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. In fact, they were shooting the, the day that I went to do reshoots, um, they were shooting that whole sequence where uh, Lance was kind of strapped into this. It was just like a, a ball. Um, and they were spinning around. Oh, <laughs> <Poor my Lord>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they figured all that out, but anyway, it was funny. I feel sorry for him. I'm, I'm, I hope I hope he didn't end up um, um, regurgitating during that scene because I can imagine <laughs> being spun around. That that probably was not not the most fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was the easiest thing that he shot. That's for sure. Now, one of your next movies, I'm going to to discuss with you was Night of the Comet, which came out the same year, just um, like four months later. It was the um, last Starfighter came out in July of 1984 and then Night of the Comet, November of 1984. So two big movies all in the same year. And this one, we, we see a lot of it more talked about nowadays, but I mean, we had Alien with Sigourney Weaver. Um, we had like characters, I mean, the movies and Barbara Stanwyck was in, you had this, this movie, again, was a, two female leads that were st- the protagonists, the lead characters driving the force of the movie. And I think this movie gets forgotten in some cases when people bring up these other movies that had strong female leads, they forget about Night of the Comet when they're talking about those in discussion. Yeah. Well, you know, Sigourney Weaver and Alien and all that are, are very, very serious, massively huge movies, you know. So this is a very small, um, kind of tongue-in-cheek movie about uh, a couple of teenage girls from the, the Valley. And I, I think that, 
from the outside, it doesn't it, it doesn't have that same impact in terms of you know comparing the two. But I, I think it's it's sort of in the same lines as the last Starfighter, and that it's what makes it uh, so memorable is that it's accessible to the audience, especially that age group. You know, they can relate to the characters, and they're not just like they they start out as sort of like you know, airhead kind of um, valley girls, but they have a lot more going on. They're highly dimensional characters that can really look after themselves. And that's one of the really fun, unique things about, about them. Um, and talking about chemistry with you and another actor, um, Kelly Maroney, you two definitely played off as being sisters during the film. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think, again, this was, um, we were very lucky with the casting. We Both of us auditioned with different people that were like more physically similar. Um, but so it was kind of a surprise when they ended up pairing us together. But I think, you know, I think we, it worked really well because we're so different in a way. And, and that's what was interesting. You know, Reg is this sort of tough, almost tomboy kind of girl um, and more serious. And then Kelly is kind of like the dreamy cheerleader, um, you know. Um, and I, I really feel like as sisters, it worked, it worked really well how we kind of, how our um, relationship sort of evolved uh, through the movie. Oh, I, I definitely think it did. And there's a, there's a couple other actors I'm going to talk to you about because when I've seen interviews with Nelly the Comet, they usually focus on the two of you because you're obviously the, the leads. But um, mm-hmm. Robert Beltran, Beltran, who played Hector, you know, um, what, what was it mm-hmm. like working with him? Yeah, he was great. It was interesting because he was so sort of, in his, in his character, he was kind of, quiet, you know, and sort of subtle. He wasn't, he was probably the biggest actor, really, well, aside from some of, like, Jeffrey Lewis and Mary Warnock and whatnot. But, but he didn't try to take over, you know, eat up the scenery. He just sort of sat back, he played his character, um, and I, I love that. He was very subtle. He, he, he was lovely. I really, when I was working with him, I was thinking, he's so quiet, you know, he's so subtle, his moves are so small, but you look at it in, um, in the movie itself, and it works so well, and it makes him so appealing and attractive. Oh, it does, and, and you brought up two names I was going to ask you about also, they played Dr. Carter and Dr. White, Jeffrey Lewis, and Mary, I'm, I'm, I'm how do you pronounce your last name? Warnoff. Warnoff. Those two have been in so many films. Um, right. And, yes, they have. And they're great. What was it like working with the both of them? I mean, it's, I can only imagine. Yeah, it was great. Mary was very much into character all the time. I mean, she was, you know, she wouldn't sort of sit down and have a casual conversation with you necessarily. But again, I just loved her quiet intensity in the role. I thought she was terrific. 
And Jeffrey Lewis, one of my favorite scenes in the, the comment is where we're in the underground bunker and he's kind of interviewing me. And we have this little, you know, conversation back and forth that I think is hilarious. He was such a lovely man and terrific actor. Just so wonderful and upfront and, and available. Um, yeah. Uh, I I I loved working with Jeffrey Lewis. I've I've seen so many of the films that he's been in, and he's in so many different roles: um, good guy, bad guy, in between, you know. And um, but I do love the line when he's asking you if you're pregnant. And- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. We it was great. I loved it. Yeah, for those who haven't seen the just, just, just when you get to that scene, it, it's it's hilarious and. Was there anything that when you when he was asking you those questions that you did, um, you know, off script? You know, did you um, just ad lib, or was it all pretty much on the script? Um, I think that uh, that I'm, <laughs> again, it's, it's so hard to remember real specific like that. I, I remember specific ad libs. I think that scene was pretty much true to the um, script. Uh, yeah, we did do some ad-libbing though. And, and Tom Edelhart, who was the writer director, encouraged us, you know, encouraged us to fool around a little bit, like in the mall scene, a lot of that stuff was just kind of like fooling around the way we wanted to fool around. Um, and the, the scene where, uh, we found the Mac 10s and we're sort of doing target practice at a car and the Mac 10 kept jamming and, and, uh, which it did all the time. And finally we were like, let's just say something about this. So Kelly said, that's the problem with this thing. He's saying dad would have gotten us to eat Uzis. And that was all, that was sort of, that was just off script. And I said, well, the car didn't know the difference. That was off script, that kind of thing. So there was definitely moments of um, improvisation, but uh, I'm not sure about that one. I think that was pretty much on script. Yeah, that was that was a very enjoyable scene because I mean, it, it didn't seem ad libbed at all. It just seemed perfectly within your characters. You guys both did excellent yeah. with with going through that because I was like, "Watch the guns keep jamming," you know. And I'm like, yeah. and I was thinking, "Oh, this might play a role later on. Like maybe it's like they're establishing the guns jam." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't part of the story. It was just we had these bad guns. <laughs> it didn't work very well. <laughs> So we sort of tried to incorporate the fact that they were great. And then even in the mall, they would jam. So I think we uh, referenced that too. So it worked out. Now, of course, Night of the Comet is similar to um, The Last Man on Earth um, or The Omega Man or I Am Legend. There's so many different variations of this. How did they do the scene? How did you guys do the scenes where there was virtually nobody in L.A.? I mean, it's L.A. <laughs> You're right. Well, it was a very different time in L.A. Back in the early 80s, downtown L.A. was virtually banks and some hotels. Um, now now it's, it's all condos and apartment buildings. And there's really a lot of people, you know, it's, they live there now. Um, but then it, it would be closed down, virtually closed down at certain times of the year. And I think we shot all that downtown stuff like Christmas Eve or first thing Christmas morning or something like that. And there was nobody there. 
it was just dead. Um, you could never do that nowadays. But we lucked out. And it, it, I think it's very effective. Oh, it is, especially with, like, the, the clothes and the dust and um, the scene where you're riding up in the motorcycle and you find a car that's empty and, and you start to put it together, like, Ooh, this yeah. is, this is serious, you know, and, uh, and, and, and of course your sister, Sam was not, you know, when you got to her and find that she was safe and she's not understanding and you're showing her all the stuff outside and, and she was still in right. disbelief, you know, and which is true. You, you go into yeah. that shock, like this can't be real. Yeah. I think she's in, she is in denial for a long time. She, she has no concept of what's happened. It's just, everything's quiet and there's all this weird stuff that, you know, she's kind of like, okay, yeah, exactly like what you say. This can't be real, and I'm just going to carry on with my day. And and as you hear, the radio is still going. So there's one element of normalcy still going on, so that she's sort of clinging to that, that we find out later, of course, at the radio station. Yeah, and I'm glad that the director, um, Tom Eberhardt, fought to keep the film the way it was. I know he had... um. From I read the, the him and the producers, which he still appreciates the producers because without the producers, he wouldn't have had a movie. But he fought to keep it mm-hmm. to his vision because I think yeah. that helps it hold up today. So it's not just like another uh, zombie movie or whatever. It actually is something that's quite different. I agree. I think that is absolutely one of the main elements that that makes this uh, this movie different and unique. Um, that that it's a zombie movie, but but with a sort of a sense of humor or kind of a tongue in the cheek or like a wink and nod, you know, with these these crazy characters that you wouldn't expect could survive uh, an apocalypse. Basically, um, if it had been made as uh, you know just a, a scary um, zombie movie, it 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 wouldn't have it wouldn't have stood out at all on any level. So I, I'm very, because at, when we shot it, we would shoot like certain scenes in a way that were not tongue in cheek, much scarier and much more serious. And um, in case they decided they were going to uh, make it into something that wasn't the original concept. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm very appreciative that it stayed with the original concept. Now, interesting enough, that brings up um, one of the listener questions um, from one of our guys. Um, his name is Rich. He, he wants to talk about, in the night of the comet, your character, Reggie, was one of the last survivors on Earth. If this was to happen now, and you were one of the last survivors, what would you do? <laughs> Man, I would wash my hands 12 times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, man. Maybe I'd go to the mall. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, that that would be, that's an interesting concept. I think that would take a lot of uh, getting used to. I probably, I live in New York City at the moment, and I would probably leave the big city. And try to go to the country somewhere, see if I can find anywhere, but at least get out of the city and maybe try to, um, I always feel like to survive in reality, if you had, you know, didn't have everything provided for you, you'd have to set up some sort of a, 
a farm situation where you are self-sufficient, you know, you can grow your own crops. So a throwback to, you know, how the pioneers started or that sort of a thing. So I would probably try to, you know, figure out how to survive outside of the big city. And which is, which is, um, I live in a rural area and, um, in, in Maryland. So it's, um, not that far for me to get away from the big cities and that kind of stuff. But I, mm-hmm. yeah, but I thought it was an interesting question. Cause when I was first reading the, when he sent it to me, I was like wondering, wonder if he wants it meant, meant it like, what would Reggie be doing or what would Catherine be doing? I think it obviously means you, Oh yeah. but it would be yeah. interesting. Um, a, a movie adaption. What if, if they ever did, um, a spiritual sequel, so to speak, the night of the comet. And it was set in New York instead of LA. And then, you know, they're going through the stuff and your character comes in and you're, you know, Reggie, you know, right. comes in midway through. Or well, something. as the as character Reggie, I think it'd be a whole different scenario, Plus, it depends on how old Reggie is as well, because, you know, we have different priorities at different ages and who has survived with you. I mean, in the case of Night of the Comet, it was my sister. So there's that dynamic that you, you know, pay attention to. I mean, I think a lot of what they did was, was uh, as sort of a survival mechanism, not only for Reggie, but I think Reggie was trying to keep um, Sam occupied as well and entertained. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't know if Reggie was just by herself. She would have, gone to the mall and started dancing. But Samantha was traumatized by this whole thing. And I think Reggie sort of took the maternal role and was trying to, at least in the first days, keep Samantha distracted and entertained. Yes, which is, which is, it seemed like a full-time job. And, and, and of course, eventually, in the, you know, for those that have seen the movie, you end up getting a, a surrogate family at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's another one of my favorite scenes is the very end where I've taken on this role as sort of Mother Earth. You know, some some people say, why did you choose as wardrobe that dress? It's so hideous and it is. But that's why I chose it. I decided to go from Reggie and her clothes, which were sort of like, became kind of iconic, to this, just the polar opposite. You know, I my job now is to be mom to everybody, and I am going to dress the role. Okay, let's all pose for a picture. Let's not cross against the light. Meanwhile, you know, Samantha is just like, has broken out of her shell, and her extreme is sort of beach girl, you know? Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. <laughs> I love that scene, and I, I love the disparity between the, the characters and and, uh, you know, Hector's in a suit, and the kids are all dressed up, and they're groaning away. I love it. I thought it was great. It, it was a good scene. It was a, and, of course, eventually got to, to um, Sam got to meet somebody her own age, and she was like, oh, I'm not alone. It's not going to just be me. And watching my sister have all the people go to her, and she got to drive off right. um, literally into the, the sunset. <laughs> I know. I, I love it. I thought it was, I thought it was a wonderful way to end the movie. <laughs> Cross me up. Now, my friend Rich had one other question for you, and this goes to the movie Dudes. Um, also mm-hmm. from uh, 1987, cult favorite. It seems a lot of your movies are cult favorites, but I just, I just call them favorites, you know, cause it's. Okay. 
But he goes, um, do you have any memorable experiences of working with John Cryer or Daniel Roebuck? Well, they were just wonderful. I mean, I don't know if you see this movie. It's a pretty crazy movie. It's, uh, it's kind of a punk rock western. And these two big city punk rockers end up in Arizona chasing down murderers and they run into me. I'm just, I own a gas station and I'm just kind of a country girl. Um, so it, we had, and so they try to like become a part of whatever the situation, you know, this environment with me and, and in the movie, John Cryer and I kind of have a little, you know, a little affair, a little love affair, a little love something, something. But, um, they were just lovely to work with. It was such a fun movie to shoot because it was very strange. I love weird movies. I don't like movies that necessarily are typical. Although I've done quite a few Hallmark Christmas movies. So, you know, I do that as well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Deuce was, was a really fun experience for me. Again, I got to play, uh, you know, female role that had some strength and independence and whatnot. Um, we, I, I love horseback riding. So I got to do a lot of that and I learned how to shoot a gun and twirl it and get into my holster and do that whole thing. That was like a dream come true, true for me. Doing some of these roles is fun because it's kind of, these are all sort of fantasy lives, you know, that you get to play out in, um, on film. So you get to live vicariously through your characters. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're still good friends today. Uh, Daniel Roebuck is just one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, as is John. So um, they were, were they were lovely to work with. We, Penelope Ferris, the director, um, went to school at UCLA, and she had a retrospective of all her work. And we all showed up and had to do the Q&A, and it, it, it's fun to just kind of reflect on, you know, how we feel like it turned out and what it was like at the time uh, working on it. I had a gaffe. Well, it sounds like it, it, I actually personally haven't seen the film yet, but I'm going to be seeking it out because you know, Rich sent me the thing, and I was like curious, like, oh, I haven't seen this movie. Now you have me even more interested in seeing it. And, and besides yeah. being a fan of your work, I'm also a fan of both of the, both them. John and Daniel, you know, and um, it's, it's just, I'd like to see those things. It, um, right. And these, these characters that they play are real departures from the characters that you see normally, they, they, that they normally play. <laughs> well, I think that's the best thing because I think a lot of people get mixed up in that actors are actors. They're not the roles they're playing. I mean, sometimes there is a lot, there, there, there could be a character that you're playing that is very close to you personally, but most mm-hmm. of the time, you know, because people will be like, oh, they're an evil person all the time. Like, no, that person's really nice. They're just playing an evil character or they, or they yeah. think, you know, if, if you can, you know, like if you were playing a police officer or a firefighter or a scientist, they think scientist, oh, she's a scientist. And it's like, no, I played one on TV, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the goal of an actor is to play as many different characters as they possibly can, you know, because that's what it is. It's like creating these characters in, in as believable a way as you can. Um, that's the challenge. That's, that's why we do it. 
And speaking of believability, let's go talk about the movie Weekend at Bernie's because we know that that whole premise is, is totally something that happens all the time in real life. Which movies are you cut out there for? Fun? Oh, Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because we all know that movie <laughs> that happens. Kind of happens all the time. <laughs> it happens all the time. Everybody knows. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's funny with that movie. Um, when I auditioned for it, I really wanted it because it was. It was. I hadn't done comedies per se up to that point. I mean, I guess you could consider Night of the Comet somewhat of a night of co- uh, a comedy, but um, this was like a pure slapstick kind of comedy. Um, and that appealed to me. I wanted to be a part of that. But when I read the script, I was like, this isn't funny. This guy is dead and he keeps showing up and little kids are burying him and he's floating in the ocean and he's being towed behind a, a motorboat. I thought, this is not funny to me. I, I, I kind of was offended by it. So you can imagine my reaction to the audience reaction. I, I just wasn't, this was a, a, a genre that I just, didn't appreciate at all at the time. Um, and I think it was a, it was a pretty kind of a new foray into this sort of comedy. You know, I kind of, I call it sophomoric comedy. It really taps into kind of, I don't know, animal house sort of mentality. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. This, the outrageousness of the, these situations makes, especially young men laugh hysterically. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've, I've seen this film many times when I was younger and it was, and of course they came out the sequel and stuff like that. But I'm, I was talking to a friend of mine at my work who's much younger than I am. And I said, Oh, I'm going to be interviewing you. And he goes, oh, what, what, what was she, what's she in? What, you know, cause the name didn't hit a bell. And I said, Right. I said the, the first two, you know, the last Starfighter, you know, Night of the Comet. Then I said Weekend at Bernie's. He goes, Oh, Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to say, um, if the Last Starfighter and Night of the Comet or one of the other movies I've done doesn't work, Weekend at Bar- Bernie's usually uh, strikes a chord. He actually, in his um, film class, um, did he had to do a scene, and he got um, the all the people that were in their twenties. He's, he's like late twenties now. So this is just a few years ago, you know, like six or so years ago. And he all said, well, let's do weekend at Bernie's. Everybody knew what he was talking about. They all filmed the scene and they all knew. Yeah. And, and that just shows you the legacy of some of these films that, you know, people that weren't even alive during it know exactly what you're talking about. So it's obviously popping up on everybody's radar to keep seeing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, uh, it's pretty iconic after all this time and it's referenced so much. It's constantly being referenced in different television shows and even other movies that, you know, it's just that, I don't know, that kind of a movie that is very specific and works in specific scenes or scenarios or jokes or whatever. Oh, exactly. And um, again, I'm glad that you fought to get into that, you know, movie, you know, and, and you worked with um, Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman and Terry Kaiser. So you were able to work yeah. with some, 
some people that were on the rise or like just hitting high or were already established. And of course, Terry Kaiser had the interesting role of playing Bernie. Yes, he did. <laughs> Which I can only imagine. It's not as easy. It was not as easy as it might have looked. Yeah, because you can't react to what everybody else is doing, and you got to be, and you got to, I guess, stay so limp and just play dead. I mean, it, 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 it's it's a lot tougher than people think. Yeah, for sure. And, and holding that expression on his face, which is also, speaking of iconic, has become iconic. Um, yeah, you know, he did a great job. And uh, it, was, it was challenging. And he, actually, he ended up getting injured as well when they were shooting a lot of the the scenes where he's floating in the water or whatever. They're, they're not actually him. but Or when he's being towed and banging into the the buoys or whatever that's not him but they had him sitting on the back of the boat as they were you know flying through the water and bouncing off the waves and stuff and he actually injured his uh, back during that shoot because uh, just because he had to stay sort of rigid so when the the boat bounced and he would go up and then crash back down onto his butt and he it it kind of did a number on him and, and and people don't realize that you know it's it's ew. I, I can I, I've had back pain before and I just I don't want to think about it right now. <laughs> I can only imagine it happening to you while you're in being filmed in, on a boat and you got to just go with it. And then afterwards, you got to be you got when you have to be still again. It, 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 that probably was causing him some pain. Yeah, he he he, he struggled with that a bit for sure. But you know we. That's what you do, I guess, as an actor. You you make that commitment. Oh, exactly. And um, I'm I'm glad you had some good memories from that film. And uh, now during this time, you you took um from the late you, there was a break, you know, where in your like from like the mid '90s, somewhere in that time, you took a break from films. I, I'm assuming that was to um, because of family reasons. Yeah, we moved to New York. Um, my husband did not like Los Angeles at all. So we decided to move to New York. He was, a uh, he, he, he worked on wall street at one point and he loved the big, the big apple. Let's put it that way. So we moved here and I did, I had two babies while I'm well, uh, still living here, but we had two babies and that was, kind. Uh, it was hard to pursue, you know, acting super seriously with the children and also having moved out of LA. So yeah, I took a bit of a, a bit of a break. Um, but, but I always tried to stay in touch and, and, um, I had agents out here and, you know, I tried to keep my finger in the pot as much as possible. And, and then when the kids were a little bit older, I would go out to LA for a few months at a time just to keep things alive. And some people did think that I'd quit the industry because I wasn't around in the way that I had been, but, um, you know, I, I stayed involved and, uh, I'm, I'm now I'm working on, uh, directing more and, um, uh, I have a three projects that I'm developing. So I'm, I'm getting more into that end of things as opposed to, although I, I'm still very much involved in acting, but I'm also very interested in, in producing and developing and writing and directing. Awesome. I know you. Like the late nineties, nineteen ninety nine, you came back in um dead silent with Rob Lowe. Yeah. He played um um Dr. Julia Kerbridge. 
And mm-hmm. again, another strong female character. Or um, she's very driven, and she has during the movie. You can see how her priorities start to shift from the events that happen with her sister and brother-in-law, and she then thrust has her um, niece thrust upon her um, from those traumatic right. experiences and has to deal with it. And now she's her whole life has just been turned upside down. Right. Right. Yeah. That was a really interesting uh, character. I had that, that I hadn't worked for a while when I got to do that show. Um, shot it up in Montreal with Rob Lowe, who I'd sort of known casually in LA. Uh, it was wonderful to work with him, but it was, it was kind of my, uh, it was kind of my reintroduction back into working after not working for probably four or five years. So uh, I appreciate, and the character, yes, as you say, is very complex and, and um, lots of uh, heavy stuff happens to her in this, in this show, a lot of stuff. (laughs) Um, So it was a great uh, sort of reintroduction back into the world of acting. I enjoyed it a lot. And, um, Rob was a lovely, lovely guy. Well, you, you, obviously, the two of you had great chemistry, and um, uh, during the film, and it, it's because he plays an interesting character. I don't want to give too much away for people that haven't seen it because there's a lot. There's some different twists and turns in the movie, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But it was, it was an enjoyable movie. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot going on in this movie. Sometimes I think maybe a little too much, but. Um, <laughs> Lots of twists and turns, um, very intense at times, um, but but very challenging, you know, and that's what you look for in characters, for sure. I think if they were to do this movie nowadays, it would be um, like an Amazon Prime or Netflix two-part or like miniseries, you know, so that way you can right. flesh out because the, the character and all the, all the things, I can imagine as four episodes or six episodes and then just be like everything that they were trying to do would have more room to breathe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I, yeah, we didn't have all these, uh, um, you know, different Netflix and things like that streaming networks back then. So, uh, um, yeah, it it would be a whole different thing for sure. It it could be like a several episode, uh, show for sure. Now, as you said earlier, you're in a lot of Hallmark films now. And my wife, loves watching the Hallmark channel lifetime. And she particularly likes the Christmas type movies. And I know this wasn't a Hallmark movie, but a Christmas snow. Yes. You know, that one. That yeah, that one. was. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was uh, an independent movie that I was approached about. And, um, I, I just love the concept of, uh, you know, this, this, I guess, sort of a troubled woman. She's very successful, um, but she has a troubled past. And, uh, you know, she's, she's sort of cold and not interested in children. And she's kind of trapped in this strange situation in a snowstorm with a young girl and this older man that is kind of a stranger and she's sort of, she lets him into her home, but she's kind of nervous about it because she knows nothing about it. She's, she's sort of thrust into the situation 
where she has no control and her life is all about control. Um, but what works in this whole thing, being forced together, and I, and I have a sense that this, might, this kind of thing might be happening now, now that families are sort of forced to be together in this kind of su- shutdown situation, it, they're learning how to relate to each other and how to work together and, and learning about each other and appreciating each other so much more. And this is what happens in this movie. And, and there's a in the end, this character reunites with her, her mother that she's, she's, uh, ignored for years and years for whatever reason. And so there's a, it's a real story of um, redemption and just kind of becoming aware of who you really are. And um, maybe the life that you're leading isn't the best life. Exactly. And I think, you know, people now, like you said, we're getting everybody getting together, being put within close proximity of each other. You know, a lot of people are learning a lot of things that used to be the norm. I think when you and I were growing up and everything's so much different now with technology. Right. Sure. Yeah. You, you were, when we were growing up, you know, you were forced to create your own entertainment and, and you would go away for the summer with your family and you were sort of forced to get to know each other and get along and play together and relate to each other. And, and, everybody leads such separate lives these days um, that I think, you know, I think it's, it's wonderful that in a way that we've been sort of forced to, you know, get to know each other again. And in a a whole different way, I was out this morning, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, I try to get outside as much as I can to get fresh air and work out and um, all this stuff. And I was watching these two brothers, I'm assuming they were brothers, the older one must have been, I don't know, maybe 11, 11 or 12. And he was with his younger brother, who's probably, let's say, eight years old. And they were practicing soccer. And the older brother was coaching the younger one. And they were doing all these drills. And and, and it was so cool watching them. And all I could think about was, and he was, the older brother was being very encouraging and and the younger one was working his butt off for his older brother. And you just don't see that anymore. Usually they're at each other's throats and they're not together at all. Um, but they were, they were working together so well. And my thought was, I wonder if this is a result of being forced to be together and learning how to, to get along and to survive. It was really cool to see. I hadn't seen anything like that in so long. I know. And that's what I mean. There are, I'm trying to find the best way like you did earlier. There are some positives that always come out of every weird situation. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and those, and those are things that, you know, I mean, who knows what younger children that are going through what's going through now, 20 years from now, what they're going to recall or remember from what happened during this time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope it all teaches us something and that we, I, you know, I sort of fear that, oh, as soon as this is over, everything's just going to go back to exactly the way it was before. But hopefully, you know, we've learned something by this and how important it is to, you know, know, know each other and be together, as a, especially as a family unit. Um, 
there's, yeah, there's just nothing like a, a family unit. I mean, blood is thicker than water, and we should learn to appreciate each other. Um, one other um, question from a listener. His name is Alistair, and he, he was curious, and this, this might be a tough one for you. Of all the famous names you've worked with, who influenced you the most and how? <laughs> wow. Um, you know, I've worked with uh, a, lot of, a lot of amazing actors. I did a number of miniseries back in the 80s um, with these just casts of thousands, you know, um, I, uh, let's well, see where, where, you know, as a young actor, you, um, you really, you really try to learn from these people and watch them work and you, you try to be a sponge, you know, um, like in Hollywood Wise, for instance, uh, Candace Bergen, Angie Dickinson, I mean, Anthony Hopkins was in it. Uh, Rod Steiger, I worked with twice. He was in Hollywood Life, and then he was in this miniseries that I did called um, Passion Paradise, where he played my father. I mean, it was just amazing to watch him work. Uh, um, yeah, uh, and, and a lot of, uh, many of the actors would sort of give me little hints of maybe try it this way or do it that way. Uh, but I have been, you know, to choose one specific person is, is difficult because I feel like I've worked with some wonderful actors. I worked um, on this TV movie for CBS called Seawolf with Charles Bronson and Christopher Reeve. I mean, that was an extraordinary um, situation for me and, and learning experience. Um, and Charlie Bronson and my husband and I stayed good friends for years, well, until he passed away. But uh, I would say, you know, if you're smart, you are influenced by everyone, by everyone you work with in one way or, in a, or another. And I, I just try to draw as much um, information, especially as, as, as I can from actors that I admire. Um, but I've worked with some amazing, amazing people. So it's really, it really is difficult to... Um, to, to, to answer that question, as you said, it's a hard question to answer. Well, I think you answered it I mean, great. I, I, and one thing I want to, I, I have to ask a follow-up to this question now. Christopher mm -hmm. Reeve, Superman movies, I was in the prime age, you know, I talked about the golden age, you know, and Christopher mm -hmm. Reeve to me is always Superman. What was it like working mm -hmm. with Christopher Reeve? Since you brought up his name, I got to ask this question or I'm going to go nuts not asking it. Well, Christopher is or was the consummate actor. I mean, he, you know, we think of him as Superman and everything, but he, he was one of those actors who took all very, very seriously. Um, he was terrific. This is a great movie, by the way, The Sea Wolf, if you can find it. Um, it was probably 1992 or 93, I think we shot that. Um, uh, yeah, he, he is this tall, you know, strapping, handsome man. I mean, he looks like Superman. Uh, a wonderful classic, classical actor. Uh, took the whole thing very, very seriously. 
Um, and yes, you, you learn a lot from, from um, working with these kind of actors. Uh, he, it was interesting at that time, he just had his, uh, he had a young baby and his new wife. And um, so he was also, not only was he in this, in this movie in the lead role, but he was like up late, you know, up at night with his newborn baby. So he was exhausted as well, but just a lovely, gracious, terrific actor. I just looked it up on IMDb, and it's just it's got it's got a very good IMDb rating, and um, it's available on Amazon. So I'll be able to get a hold of it. Oh, oh good! That's good to know. I might have to have a watch of it myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it's on Amazon Prime, but it says that says available on Amazon. So I haven't clicked on that. But Mark Singer was also in it, which I always remember him as the Beastmaster. I and, know, and right? V. Yeah, this again, again, a terrific cast. And it says here, I'm just reading for those who are wondering what it's about. As you said a little bit, Jack London's brutal Wolf Larson brings a shipwrecked aristocrat and a con woman aboard his doomed ship, the Ghost. So. <laughs> So I take it you're the con woman? <laughs> I am. I'm the con woman. Um, yeah, you know, Seawolf, it was, um, it's been around a long time, obviously, and um, it was made, uh, it, it was a movie previous to the one we made as well. I think it was done in like the 50s or the 40s um, as well. Uh, so, it's a classic story. I, I loved that it was uh, a period piece. You know, I did a whole bunch of kind of research into just women and wardrobe and culture at that time, um, which would have been like the turn of the century. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great experience. We shot that up in, in Vancouver, and, and the ship that we actually took out was an authentic, you know, high-masted, ship from that time period and we would go out onto the ocean and shoot on this boat you know all day and then come back in and uh and it, it was fun also because they just all the crew and every, everybody who was going to be involved with the shoot that day had to get on the boat first thing in the morning we all helped to kind of cast the you know the the sails or whatever you say and we helped them get it all going they really had us involved. It was fun. It was really an interesting show. And, and I think it's a really, I think it's a really good movie. Uh, now, now I'm going to have to seek it out and watch it. Um, you said mm -hmm. you're directing um, anything you want to talk about some of the projects that you, that you can talk about that you have directed. Well, the one that um, I know you were, you mentioned that you were looking for one of the things that I directed. I directed a short film that I wrote. Um, I never released it anywhere. I might eventually. I just, it was, for me, it was just, I, I needed to have that experience under my belt. I mean, you, having been in this business as long as I have, I've always been interested, as I mentioned earlier, um, what goes on behind the camera, not just the acting side of things. It's, uh, that is something that's always really been interesting to me. Um, and, uh, I've always, if I'm not working on a set, I will come to the set anyway. If I'm not working as an actor, I'll come to the set and just sit, you know, behind the scenes and watch. Um, so I knew that I was, I 
I could do it. I mean, it would, at any rate, with all the experience, but um, I wanted to create my own project, direct it, and uh, edit it. And, you know, I just has never released it anywhere. Just a small, little, lovely, little, sweet story. Um, but I am uh, I'm developing a few projects myself to specifically to direct. Um, so those are, you know, everything's kind of on hold right now, but the, they're moving forward and uh, hopefully, you know, if this business, you never know, but hopefully something will come to fruition. One is a stage play, one is a, kind of a, a TV movie thing, and another one is a, a feature for, a, kind of a kid's feature. So we'll see what happens with all those things. They're not things that I can really talk definitively about yet. But hopefully in the not-too-distant future, you'll see uh, Catherine Mary Stewart, director. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And um, there's been one question I want to ask you that's been on the Internet for years. Will there be, will there be a sequel to The Last Starfighter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they have talked about it a lot. I mean, it's this, it's always sort of been in, it's been sort of gossiped about or here, you know, certain people have been working on, you know, a sequel concept for The Last Starfighter. Um, but last year, um, the original writer got the rights back to it. There was a whole issue about who had the rights to the property. And um, it was Universal, I think. So really, unless Universal was going to decide to make a sequel, it couldn't be done. So um, Jonathan Betchwell, who is the writer, it had when I guess when a property has been around for 30 years, the rights automatically go back to the original writer. And that's also happened with Tom Everhart for Night of the Comet. He now has the rights. He can make a sequel as well if he wants to, but he just has no interest in doing it. <laughs> but Jonathan Betchwell and Nick Castle have a lot of interest in doing a sequel. So, um, in fact, Nick Castle talked about it about a year ago in public at a convention. Um, but I haven't heard anything since then. So I guess they've been shopping around some ideas. And ironically, Universal, they said, was sort of interested in it. I don't know any more than that, though. I can only hope that, you know, Lance and I are involved somehow. That would be so much fun. Um, And certainly if Nick Castle and Jonathan Batchel are involved with it, it would be much more attractive to me than if, if it was just somebody else who just wanted to pick up the idea. Because I think they would stay more true to the original concept. Um, but who knows? I, I know no more than that, sadly. You know, the best I could find was some concept art from a year or two ago for the last starfighter. And that was about, you know, it like, you know, showing something that was um, moving forward in that area. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. if it does happen, at least it's great to know that Nick Castle would, would likely hopefully be the director of it. And with the original writer. So, you know, it'll have that, continuity and, if, and of course if, if you and Lance are both brought back for it I think it, you know for a lot of fans it would be um, very appreciated you know it'd be great you know for those of us that are big fans of the last starfighter 
I mean, as to what the story right. would be, who knows? We can all come up with our own version of what that would be. But I'm sure, you know, they'll come up with something that's solid. Yeah, the next last starfighter, and then maybe it's their daughter. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you never know. I mean, you know, you guys could have twins. And, um, I mean, it, it, Absolutely. It leaves off a cliffhanger, as we all know, last starfighter. The, the main villain is alive. Yeah, exactly. So it would be fantastic. But, you know, I, I haven't heard anything. I know that um, the, the things that you see on the Internet with the, the, the concept of, the, you know, the spacecraft or whatever it is, I'm not sure that that person has anything to do with uh, Nick Castle and Jonathan. So, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. But exactly. I'm as excited as anybody. I'm ex- uh, as excited by the idea as anybody. I would love. It. I would love to be involved with it. No, I'm, I'm. I'm just like I said. We're all hoping that it does happen. Any of us that are a fan of it. And um, anything do you want people to um, follow you? Like, there's any spots where you know you want to promote yourself, like on um, Facebook or your web page? Yeah, I mean. Um, so my Facebook is Catherine Mary Stewart, and and if there's any news about the Last Starfighter sequel or anything else that I'm doing, I always post it on that. And I do Facebook Live every once in a while, um, and I try to be as in touch and respond to messages and, and the things on the page as much as I can because I appreciate the audience out there. I I wouldn't be here if there wasn't. A, a bunch of people who were fans, you know? So I try to, I'm very hands-on with my page. Um, my website is CatherineMaryStewart.com. Um, it's, I'm, I'm actually in the process of rebuilding it. Um, but you can, um, uh, you can order photos from there if you want to, or if anybody wants to be in touch with me directly, they can um, email me at info at CatherineMaryStewart.com. And if there is a photo that you would like and you don't see it on the website, you could just ask me about it. I have lots of photos here I, that you would like to purchase and I can, um, we could figure that out, you know, through email. Um, I'm on Instagram, Catherine Mary Stewart. I'm on Twitter um, uh, at CMSALL. Uh, or hashtag Captain Mary Stewart. Um, what else? Yeah, that's, and you can check to see all my credits and everything on imdb.com. So I hope I hear from you know people out there. It'd be great. And, and she does respond back when she can. So um, you know, feel free to reach out. As she said, she loves to hear back from the fans, and she's done. I mean, you've done so many different things. Um, it, it's, I, I think it applies to everybody. I mean, you've done so many different genres and as you said, you really just look at the work you like unique things and, uh, and it shows that you really love what you do and, and, and are able to be these different characters. And I, I really appreciate that you spending the time with me. I think, you know, going over this on, in, in, in the interview form so people can actually, you know, hear all these different works and not just the, an interview about one specific thing, but we at least covered a little bit of your career. I mean, you've done over 70 different things, so there's no way in the world we could cover all of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But, uh, no, it's been a pleasure. It's always fun to talk about stuff. All right. Thanks. <laughs>